You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. This is our last sermon on the book of Malachi. Malachi has been preparing his people through God's inspiration for the coming of Jesus in the first Christmas. In fact, we're going to begin a brand new series next week on what is perhaps the most famous Bible passage of the Christmas story as we will follow Luke chapters 1 and 2 for the next several weeks leading up to Christmas. Well, it's apparent that last week in the book of Malachi, Malachi stands right alongside with every other Old Testament prophet and in fact, every other Old Testament book in pointing us to Jesus Christ. That Jesus is coming is the fulfillment and culmination of all that the Old Testament was about. Chapter three of Malachi, we saw this last week, opened with these words. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. 400 years later, who is that? That's John the Baptist. How do we know? Because Jesus tells us. From Matthew chapter 11. I want you to to hear this. As John's disciples were leaving, that's different John. This is um, John the Baptist there. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, I'm more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. This is Jesus saying this. And he quotes Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. What else did Malachi say in that first verse was this. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. That's Jesus coming to the temple. And he better come before 70 AD because he's got to come to the temple. You see, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, never to be rebuilt since. So since Malachi started us down this path of knowing, okay, Here's how the Old Testament gets us ready for Jesus. That's exactly what we want to focus on today. Just so you know, I'm going to start with the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we're going to work our way all throughout the Old Testament. All right, we may skip around a little bit. But this is going to be what we're going to look at, the ways in which God promised planned and prepared people for the first Christmas. And so let me give you a a brief survey. Still working on this. (laughs) Um, By the way, when the Bible was written, unlike any other book that's ever been written in the history of the world, this book details the future in great detail. In fact, 25% of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic in nature, preparing God's people for the future. 
And because God inspired the Bible and God knows the future and God controls the future and God reveals the future and the centerpiece, the masterpiece of human history is one person. His name is Jesus. So we're going to start with the first promise and prophecy that was back in Genesis chapter 3. The context is this. God is awesome. God is good. God is glorious. God made the world and gave it to us as a gift. And then he made us in his image and likeness. And God made us for a loving relationship. And and God revealed himself to us. God extended his his hand of, of that special relationship. And tragically, our first parents rejected him. They rebelled against him. They broke his heart. We call that sin. The Bible refers to that as sin. At that moment, everything that God made was infected and affected by sin, death, and destruction. So that sin and suffering and pain and problems entered the world. It doesn't matter how many wars we fight. It doesn't matter how many dollars we spend. It doesn't matter how many uh, politicians get elected. It doesn't matter how many protests we hold. The world does not change because it has a problem at the core of who we are. And that is we are sinners by nature and by choice. Only the Bible makes sense of human history. Only the Bible makes sense of your history. We are the problem. We need a solution. And at that moment that our first parents rebelled and brought death into human history, what did God do? He showed up. God could have abandoned. God could have neglected. God could have left us to ourselves. But just like the parable that the kids are learning about right now, God pursued us. And to our first parents, he made the first promise and he promised that Jesus was coming and he tells his enemy and adversary who is also our enemy and adversary he tells him this in Genesis 3 15 and I will put enmity strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he that is Jesus will crush your head and you will strike his heel As we believe, Moses wrote those first books of the Bible. So this was written some 12, 1300 years before Jesus was even born on earth. Now we are some 3,000 years removed from that writing. The problem was humanity. And the promise was that through a woman, a man was coming. But here's what's interesting. Most of the time in the Bible, when it gives the the family line, it does so through the father's lineage because it was such a patriarchal culture. But if you notice in that passage from Genesis, there's no mention of an earthly father. It's the first hint of a virgin birth. And at the coming of Jesus, there would be an earthly mother, but not an earthly father. And he's coming to undo all that sin has done. That where our first parents have failed, and we continue to fail, he would come to be faithful 
And so from that moment forward, people were expecting, yearning, anticipating the coming of this Savior, this, this Messiah, this Deliverer. And God continues to give revelation and prophecy, and he continues to prepare his people for a point in history where the hope is coming. You see, the problem is down here. The solution must come from up there. And there is a prophet that is raised up some 700 years before Jesus Christ even walked the earth. Some people think that Christianity is just one among many religions. It's not. Our Bible is exclusively unique. Other books do not include prophecy because they are not inspired by God and they do not contain revelations of God. And we hear then through the great prophet Isaiah... See, we've already skipped 21 books in the Old Testament. Thank you. You're welcome. We are going to hear from the prophet Isaiah what most of you, if not all of you, have at one time or another received on a Christmas card. I want you to hear where this comes from and what it means. It's Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So we're already narrowing down the options, right? A woman is going to give birth to a son and she'll be a virgin. That pretty limiting how, how this prophet's going to get fulfilled. Give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Here's what you need to know. We don't go up to God God comes down to us. Now, every other religion teaches in some form or fashion that we can make our way up to God. We either die and re reincarnate to pay off our karmic debt, or we have to make sure that our good outweighs our bad. In any case, it's, it's about trying to make ourselves up to God's level. The truth is, none of us can go up to God God has to come down to us, and that's the miracle of Christmas, and his name is Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us, which means Jesus is God. Again, about 700 years before Jesus was born, we are told where he will be born. We read this from Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, that's the city, Ephrathah, that's the region, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That phrase, ancient times in the Hebrew, can literally mean from eternity. So now the promise is given. We start putting these pieces together. A woman is going to give birth to a son who would be born of a virgin. That son will be born in the small town of Bethlehem. Well, if you know the Christmas story, you know that Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph, aren't living in Bethlehem. Uh-oh. <laughs> then how is Jesus going to be born in Bethlehem? Well, in God's providence, he allowed there to be a decree for a government-sponsored census. And what happens is that everyone must travel to their family of origins, hometown, for tax purposes. So here's good news. God can even work through governments. God can even work through taxes. Amen? 
I mean, that's a miracle. So here's what God does. He works through the government seeking to increase their tax base. Everyone has to go to their family of origins, hometown. Joseph is from the line of great King David, who happens to be from what town? Bethlehem. So Mary, very much pregnant. And, and we don't know if she walked or rode a donkey. I mean, all the pictures, all the images. I mean, you think that if Joseph was really a good guy, I mean, he's putting her on a donkey, right? But the Bible doesn't tell us. We just have to assume. Somehow, this teenage girl makes the long journey to the town of Bethlehem at the exact time that she's about to go into labor. So she gives birth to the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem. This was not her home. This wasn't her residence. But the God who rules over history, who knows history, who reveals history, who enters history, has all this planned out to perfection. Everything he promises comes to pass. So now Jesus is born of a woman, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. And when he grows up, he would perform extraordinary miracles. He would do things that no one else could do. He would claim things that no one else would claim. You need to know that he said something unique in the history of the world. In the history of the world, there has never been the founder of any major world religion who declared himself to be God. Jesus openly, repeatedly, emphatically, unapologetically declared himself to be God. He was hated, despised, opposed. His reputation was slandered. His life was taken, not because he was just a loving, kind, and generous man, though he was. No, his life was taken because he insisted that he was God. And when they came to him and declared that he was lying, he said, if I am lying, then examine my works. Listen to my words and watch my works. He's referring to his miracles. And Jesus, it, would promise, it was promised, would be a miracle worker. This from Isaiah 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. You know that Jesus provided, performed over three dozen different types of miracles. So much so, so many miracles, so many things that he did that John at the end of his gospel says this, that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Then comes the promise, another promise from Isaiah. And this from one of the most rich sections in the entire Old Testament. This promise is about Jesus 700 years before he was born. Just pause for a moment and think about that. How many of you would like to know the future? I think every one of us would like to know the future so we can prepare for it. Imagine if someone knew the future 700 years in advance. Here's what I'm telling you. If God did not write this book, then who did? If God did not reveal these things, then who did? 
If, in fact, this is not from God, how can we possibly explain all these tremendous prophecies, promises, and preparations? This is the book that God wrote, and it's about Jesus. And so it is said regarding him, 700 years before he was born from Isaiah 53, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Now, Jesus was healthy, he was young, he was in his early 30s, but ultimately he would be cut off from the land of the living. What does that mean? That he would be killed prematurely at a young age for this reason, for the transgression, the sin of my people, he was punished. What that refers to is that he would substitute himself in our place for our sins. And it goes on to say, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Now, the point of Jesus' death was promised and prophesied. It was also foreshadowed and foretold that he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. Now, the question is, was Jesus rich or poor? He was poor. So how is he going to be buried in the grave of a rich person. Well, the Bible tells us the story that when Jesus died, a tomb was gifted to him post-mortem by one of his more quiet followers, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph gifted his brand new tomb for them to place Jesus' body. Now, the good news for Joseph is he got the tomb back barely used, (laughs) It was basically a couple nights in Motel 6, and here's your keys back to your tomb. (laughs) But the promise was made that he would be laid with the rich at his death. But not only did Jesus die, Jesus rose, and that's where Isaiah continues. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence nor is any deceit in his mouth. What he's saying is that Jesus had no sin of any sort by what he said, by what he did. Jesus never said anything that was untrue, including the claim to be God. He never did anything that was unholy. Jesus's life was perfect. Jesus's life was without sin. And it goes on to say, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. What does that mean? He's coming back. After he dies, he rises. And Jesus said that. No less than six occasions recorded in the Gospels, openly, emphatically, repeatedly, when I die, I am coming back on the third day. All of that came to true. All of that came to pass. It is actual, factual, historical. Here, God is not only foreshadowing the crucifixion of Jesus, he is promising and prophesying the resurrection of Jesus. God knows the future. God sees the future. God rules the future. God controls the future, including yours and mine. That, friends, our day on this earth will come to an end. And God knows what awaits us on the other side. 
and his name is Jesus. And he has gone through death to the other side. And he has come back to testify. And here's one of the things he promises us. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it was Jesus' great way of saying, if you follow me, I know and control the future. And I have a great destiny and purpose and plan for you. So let me tell you some good news. You come from God. You're not here for no reason. You're here to meet with God. You're here to belong to God. You're here to experience newness of life with God. You're here to experience the destiny, power, and greatness of God for you and your children and their children. You're not, you're not an accident of evolution. You're a child of the living God made in his image and likeness. You're not from no one, here for no reason, dying, going nowhere. You come from God. You find meaning in life, in a relationship with him. And when you die, you will stand before this same God and his name is Jesus. And that's actually what's being promised. The point of all this is God wants a unique and special relationship with you. He, he doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want you just to walk into church. He wants you to walk with him every moment of every day. And you see, I have more good news for you. There's a God who knows you. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who forgives you. There's a God who pursues you. There's a God who will never fail you. There's a God who will never leave you. And he has done an extraordinary thing. He has come down to be with us so that we could be with him. And then it says, in the last lines of the Old Testament, we finally got to Malachi chapter 4, these last two verses, these are spoken regarding John the Baptist and the result of Jesus' ministry. God says through prophet Malachi, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the, of the Lord comes. So Elijah is supposed to come before the Lord appears. He did. Jesus says, that's who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist played that role of the Elijah who was to come. And then what happens when the Lord comes? He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. These are the last lines in the Old Testament. This is God's way of preparing everyone for the coming of Jesus and the celebration of the first Christmas. And he wants to start with a relationship between parents and children. Because if parents would have a heart for their children and children have a heart for their parents, then there could be generations of blessing where there have been generation, generations of cursing. Some of you have come from long lines of, of family, grandparents, parents, and so forth, who have known, loved, and served the Lord, and they've passed that on to you. Praise God. Continue that legacy. 
But maybe some of you have come from families where that wasn't the case. That it was more cursing than it was blessing. That it was burdensome. That it was more life-taking than life-giving. Well, this is the day that God has appointed for you to break that spiritual curse against the history of your family, to forgive, to be unburdened, to forget what lies behind and move forward to the future that God has for you. We're not just talking about dying and going to heaven. We're talking about living in the presence of God so that heaven begins not the day you die, the day you meet Jesus. So here's my final thought for today. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus, whether you receive him or reject him. I just showed you some of the ways that God made preparations for centuries, getting us ready for the birth of Jesus, the coming of this great Savior, the Son of God. He came from heaven to earth. He came from his throne to a manger. He humbled himself to be with you. He humbled himself to be like you. He humbled himself to give himself as a gift for you. You need to know that when Jesus was born, there was never a greater gift ever given. And here's what the Bible says. This is such good news for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, that's you and you and you and you, it's any of you. God will even save the people on the back row. <laughs> God will even save the people that are sitting at home. God will even save the person who's on his phone right now. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friend, eternal life does not begin the day you die. It begins the day you meet Jesus. This should be that day. Jesus comes to give himself to you as a gift. You need to receive him. You need to open that gift. You need to invite him into your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never received Jesus, someone might say, well, well look, I, I grew up in church. There's no guarantee behind that. You can grow up in church, but not grow up in Christ. Someone else might say, well, I believe in God. Well, the Bible says the demons did too. It wasn't a bonus round for them. It's not enough to go to church. It's not enough to believe in God. Someone else might say, well, my family believes in God. I mean, they believe enough for all of us. It's a single foul line into the kingdom. You got to know for yourself. Have you ever received Jesus? Have you ever made a conscious decision of the heart and mind to say, Jesus, I receive you? Have you ever said, starting right now, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, a new relationship, I receive from you, Jesus? If you've never done that, would you do that now? Receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. His name is Jesus. We're going to go to Jesus in prayer. I'm going to give you a, a moment to make it personal. Invite Jesus in if you've never done that. And then I'll pray for us. Let's go to prayer.
Father God, thank you for everything you do and everything you provide, especially the gift of the Lord Jesus. The plan from the beginning of time was to have your son step off the throne and enter into human history. And Lord Jesus, you came to live and die and rise. And you are good. You are God. You are glorious. You are victorious. You are ruling. You are reigning. You are healing. You are forgiving. You are altering lives. You are changing destinies and eternities. We are so glad to be with you. We are so glad to belong to you. As we lift our voices and to say thank you. In Jesus' name, and we pray the prayer that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.